Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Two Peas on a Pod podcast. Maybe one of these days I'll get a different introduction, but until then, it's the same one every single week. But appreciate you coming on the podcast today. You already know what it is because we told you last week today is part two of the personal testimony of the Christian family. And I don't mean the Christian family. I mean the Christian family that's standing in front of me right now. <laughs> so anyways, we got Brother Doug, Sister Kelly, and their son, Brother Caleb, with us. We appreciate them, and they're a great part of what this church is doing here, and they have quite a testimony, and I'm hearing most of this for the first time. And so they remember where we left off for last week, and so if you didn't listen to last week's, you better go listen to part one first, or you're going to be confused. (laughs) That's why we say part one. And so anyways, today's part two, and we're going to wrap up their story today. And so, Brother Doug, you remember where you left off? Yes. Just take us right into it. So we were there in Arlington, you know, just ministering, preaching, doing whatever it was that uh, the Lord, whatever doors opened up for us. Like I said, in last week, we were uh, preaching out, doing just, just growing like weeds. And, uh, you know, little by little, different things would come in and things would be said. And I, I don't know if I can't remember if I shared it or not, but, you know, the, I grew up you know, very independent and self-willed. And I, it was difficult to have all of the sudden a man not only in my life you know doing what god is calling him to do as far as discipling and correcting and in teaching etc uh but being willing to be that guy that would be you know misunderstood or 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 whatever you know my father was never around and and so it was i wasn't used to having someone tell me i was wrong or that i didn't need to do this or that that wasn't the way it was or I needed to rethink this or that maybe that's not wise. And so, you know, rather than make it a matter of prayer and rather than do the Christian thing and respond spiritually, uh, unfortunately, I would oftentimes get offended and let it get to me and different things would be said, whether it was, I remember one time we went to a youth conference and uh, Kelly was wearing a pair of tennis shoes and uh, you know, to me, it didn't seem like that big of a deal, uh, but he wanted to. There had been some things going on in the in the relationship there, and he wanted to put our best face on and come, you know, uh, you know representing a, a particular uh, viewpoint. And I wasn't even sure what all it was, but he just felt like that he had made it clear that we needed to look our best that night, and and I just didn't hear it right, and so he spoke to me very directly wasn't anything ugly but it was just you know about her wearing tennis shoes and me allowing that to happen and not taking it seriously and uh brother i'm telling you i don't know it sounds foolish but (laughs) that chastisement or that correction that exhort whatever you want to call it it became an offense to me and before long you know i was everything he would say i would criticize he talked different just thought I had a better understanding of the English language and there was always just just if just anything that that I could pick apart I would pick apart at the after that and it wasn't long till I had let it get me offended and out completely I was backslidden in my heart 
long before I walked out the doors of the church. But uh, it was just one Sunday afternoon in between services. I decided not to go back that night. And I remember Kelly and Josh went, and uh, but the next Sunday, I wouldn't let them go back and uh, at all. And uh, in fact, that Saturday night or Friday night, I can't remember which one it was, just in a show of opposition and rebellion, defiance, I went out with my nieces and nephews and brother-in-law to uh, the stockyards to a bar uh, just one week out of, you know, leaving the church and drug her with me and made her come, mm. I, you know. And, of course, she didn't want to be there at the time, and she was really bothered, tormented. I think she got a cab and went home mm-hmm. that night. Uh, and she's out there in her skirt. <laughs> yeah, I went to. I guess I, I. It's all kind of a blur, but um, I kind of followed him, you know, trying to hang on to him as tight as I could, and ended up at a bar and in a skirt. And I just remember just, just oh, it was terrible. It was just sickening, even thinking about it in my stomach. Just so yeah, I got out of there, and um, uh, it wasn't long. Um, we were going in different directions. My, I mean, my heart really, I still wanted to serve God, but I didn't want to lose him either. And so, um, he ended up leaving and, um, my world fell apart. Um, cause you know, at this point I was a stay at home mom, I wasn't working anymore. And so I was all content to be a perfect little housewife. Like I had always dreamed of having and, um, he was gone. And during that same time, uh, my dad was diagnosed with liver cancer and, um, he was given six weeks to six months to live. And so my whole world was just falling apart. And, um, you know, my dad and Doug were the only sense of security outside of the Lord that I had, which I wish now looking back, obviously I would have leaned on the Lord, you know, and realize he's really all we got to have in times like that. He's what we need. But it wasn't long before um, my dad died six weeks later. I watched him take his last breath. And I remember that day we had been split up. And so, you know, I was already in torment with all of that. And I remember the day that my dad died, just something happened inside of me that day. And for the first time ever, I doubted God. And um, not really his existence or that God was real. Just, I don't know, just something just void in me. And um, just crushed me that day. And um, I went back to church a couple times, but it wasn't long before I was completely out. And my main focus was trying to get Doug back. I just had to have I had to have that relationship back. And I was willing to go wherever he went just to make sure, you know, I didn't lose him all the way. And so we, we got back together um, over time, but I was completely backslid. He was backslid. I went back to drinking. I never went back to drugs. Um, but, uh, I was a very bad alcoholic and in a very dark, dark place. Um, obviously running from God worse off than I was really when I was on drugs for me and and I think him too. And so, um, of course you can't have a build a marriage like that once you've known the Lord. Um, and then you walk away from God. Um, it might work for a little while, but it's not going to stand. And um, I don't know how many years we tried to do it our way and live in sin and just it was tit for tat. He'd do something to me and I'd have to do it double back to him. And um, we were just, you know, just hurting each other and just destroying our home. And um, it wasn't long before we split up and um, he ended up 
back on drugs and he can kind of tell that part but um he went back to his old life and you know and I was just trying to party and just you know not face the reality of who I was and for me the turning point came after we I'd been out for maybe five years and um I uh, ended up pregnant <laughs> and um, he was with someone else. We'd been separated for probably a year at this point. He was in another relationship and um, I, um, I ended up pregnant and that's when I realized my whole world was about to change. And so again, um, you know, God used that pregnancy. I, I kind of tell this, I don't want to jump ahead um, to tell about the ministry we have, but with the pregnancy center, but he used that pregnancy in that time in my life to stop me in my tracks. And um, I couldn't drink anymore, couldn't party anymore. And of course, all the friends I had now, you know, I wasn't the party house anymore. They were nowhere to be found. So I was all alone and I was suicidal. Um, my son was nine at the time and he was out of control he was getting kicked out of school already he was just our life was a total mess and um i just didn't even want to live and i remember crying out on my couch i always think of that psalm that says where i drowned my couch in my tears you know and talking to god and just telling god i don't want to live anymore but i knew how stupid that was because i knew i was on my way to hell you know and so um I tried to go to a big church because I was like, you know, I'll go to church. I need to get my son in church. I need to get some help for him because he's, you know, no, never mind me. So I went to a big Methodist church, I think it was, and um, uh, sat through a service. It was really weird. <laughs> and I remember the Lord just dealing with my heart saying, is this what you want to do? You want to come and fake it and then do things your own way and then still go to hell and what for or why? And so I said, okay, God, look, I'll go back to that little hole in this church I went to and got saved in, but I'm not going to live like those people. I'm going to, I'm just going to do my, my thing, but I'll go to that church. <laughs> and so um, a friend of mine had contacted me from that church and she said, hey, you want to go to church with me today? And I said, yeah. And so I went back and I don't remember exactly when I made a full commitment, but it was like the first service or two that I went to. I just repented and gave my life back to the Lord and crawled back to him, you know, like here I've made a mess of things, but Lord, if you'll take my life, I'll give it to you again. And so um, he took me <laughs> to my amazement. And uh, in that time, you know, Doug was out there and I never would have thought that what we had done to each other could ever be fixed. But um, as I would pray um, in those altars, I, you know, I had every excuse by so many people's standards to divorce. You know, we had cheated on each other. We'd done each other wrong. He was on drugs. I, hadn't even, I went a year probably without ever even hearing from him. And um, I even had at one point, so I was in church for about five years. And at one point I had a preacher come up to me. And he had written on a piece of paper and said, uh, the Lord told him this. Him and his wife were both preachers, you know. And the Lord told him that, to tell me this, that I needed to divorce him and I needed to move on with my life because God was going to send me a better husband. And uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I just thank God, you know, for the truth because I knew better. You know, every time I would get down in those altars and I would think, you know, I don't have to. I don't have to pray for him. I don't. You know, I would think, what if I was the one that was still out in the world, 
and I was lost and Doug had come back to God and he was the only person I had to depend on to pray for me. Uh And um, I loved him too much to just forget about him. And, you know, um, when I would truly press in and get prayed through and get close to God, I couldn't get away from that burden. And so I would have these kind of ups and downs, you know, I would pray for him and then maybe I'd hear from him. And I'd have my hopes just crushed, you know, he's just too far gone. He's too far gone. (laughs) And, but then I would get back in the altar and I'd pray and I'd be like, no, I got to pray, got to pray for him. And so he can kind of fill us in where he was at during that time. But that's kind of where I was. I was trying to get back on my feet and get it, get my foundation repaired and um, stand in the gap for my husband. Amen. Well, during leading up to that time, you know, going back a little bit where we were, when we backslid originally, uh, you know, there was a season, brother, where professionally, personally, you know, individually, we went through, we went as high as the people could go, you know, I mean, life seemed to be great at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I managed, I was a, basically, I was second in the company I worked for only to the owner. Uh, we bought a brand new home. We had new vehicles. We, you know, we had money in the bank. Life was, you know, in the natural sense, it was good. We were doing great. Uh, and you know, as, as more and more by and by, as the as the as you know, our you know, doing things our own way got more and more comfortable and more and more normal. Uh, you know, as she said, the drinking and the you know uh, different things got back in. I was traveling constantly all over the country, uh, putting in you know managing jobs, bidding jobs, doing this and that, and uh, you know hardly ever home, just working. And uh, uh, you know we were constantly there was all this there was this tension between us, and it was you know running from God and just not you know there was times and for me. Where, you know, I, I grew, I hadn't started doing drugs yet, but I was on the verge of it. I'd been drinking a lot and, you know, and there were things in my mind. I was imagining scenarios and it was just a terrible time. And uh, there were opportunities that presented themselves, you know, like the devil does. Like he knows where it's going to take for me to fall. He knows what it's going to take for you to fall. And, he, and he's going to hammer away and chip away until if he feels like he's got a foot and you know, and before long, I was managing crews, and every one of them was meth heads. And uh, you know, it would just—I could go to any job site anywhere, you know, and people, and it was just there, available. And before long, I was using it again. And uh, that scripture where it talks about how you, you know, having find a house swept and clean, come back, you know, seven—it's it, true. It really does happen that way. I mean, whenever uh, I gave place to that again. It was uh, the most aggressive and most horrific uh, addiction. I didn't think there was any way out of it. Uh, I, from the very first, and I wasn't, a, I didn't smoke dope. I didn't eat dope. I was an IV drug user. I shot meth, coke, whatever you could put in a syringe up my arm, you know, three and four and five, six, however many times a day I had to, to stay high. And uh, it became laborious it was no longer fun very quickly and you just you become addicted you're a junkie for long you can't function and so that's when you run the only thing I knew how to do was run uh, and uh, I was good at that I could run and hide and blend in and and nobody would see me and I could do my own thing 
And it, it just that's that's what I did when the going got tough. And so when it got tough with us, I ran. And, you know, when I was a kid, there were things that took place. I mentioned it briefly, you know, in our first interview that uh, there was, you know, it wasn't, my mother was never, my mom was a good mom as far as moms go. She worked hard. She, you know, every, she, we never had a car. Uh, we walked everywhere we went. Um, we were very poor. Uh, when people talk about, you know, being poor, they don't realize, I think sometimes, the poor people thought we were poor, as <laughs> one man said. And, uh, you know, Christmas time was, you know, it was, not, it was just another day in our house. Uh, birthdays and all the time you see people celebrating and and you get you get to this you know as a kid it does something to you when your life seems so miserable and uh, like I said you know that cut top couple that with um, you know abuse and neglect and different things you know you grow up uh, just a warped individual first off and there were all sorts of things going on in my life whenever I left Kelly at that time that she's talking about uh, after we backslid. And, and I wasn't just running from her. I was running from those things, the me, the, the God, you know, the, the conviction. It was so strong at times where I, you know, the only – I didn't know what to do. You know, and as she said, you know, I got involved with a, with a woman uh, for a while, and, and, and she did, and different things took place. Uh, but for the most part, my life revolved around getting high. Uh, I went back to jail several times for rob, you know, burglar, not rob, burglar, but robbing. I would shoplift and I would keep it just under the amount that you could get a felony with. And I would take it and trade it. And there was places all over Fort Worth that you could swap merchandise for cash. That's how I survived. And I was homeless on the street. It was one night I was talking. She was already she had left Arlington at this point and moved out to a church in the southwest corner of Mississippi, uh, where we would eventually go to uh, as a family. And uh, I, you know, my every door in my life had been shut, Brother Austin. Uh, my mother wouldn't even open. I could knock on her door, and if she saw it was me, she'd just walk away. She wouldn't open the door. Uh, friends and family members. I'd burn every bridge, every literally. And I, I was homeless and had been homeless for so long that, you know, you stink and you're, you're scary looking and you got, you know, like I had this, I don't know what it was, some kind of, I've never had it again once I got saved, but some kind of rash on my skin. And people didn't even want you to come into the store to use the bathroom or get something to drink. It was just a really bizarre time. And I remember walking over to a friend of mine's house, and he told me, he's a pastor of a church, and he told me one time, he said, if you'll just quit running, you know, God will God will help you. He said, God's got a special kind of grace for people that's been through the stuff you've been through. Well, I would love to hear that. That was exactly what I wanted to hear at that time, and I— you know, it, it fed me, get me going for a few more years. But at the end of it, I was in the bus station in Fort Worth, Texas, middle of the night. I'd been turned down at the Salvation Army. Uh, I was done. I had I'd done everything I could. I'd 
was afraid to kill myself, so I stole a big bag of dope from the dope drug dealer one day. I went into, you know, and and I had him chase me around. And anyways, I, you know, I was trying everything I could to just, I overdosed, bought what I could of cocaine, and well, I did a dose. I don't know, it must have just been the Holy Ghost, God dealing, having mercy on me, but it either wasn't any good or they, you know, the Lord kept my heart beating, but, and I nearly died, you know, but it was just a, a series of horrible situations like that going on in my life, in and out of, you know, the county jail, different things, promises to her to do this. You know, one time I went over to her house, she was trying to be a blessing to me, and we were still married, but we weren't living together, and uh, we've never been divorced, as, you know, but we, uh, I stole the van, you know, and went and hawked it for drugs. The only car she had to get around, you know, oh. and uh, just a just a maniac, a selfish, crazy, drug, and you know, whacked out guy. And uh, it was wasn't long after that happened that she took the boys and moved to Mississippi to get away from me, primarily, but also to try to get some order and some structure back in their lives. And uh, there was a church that we met, or they'd met, through another brother that had a camp meeting. And there was a lot of, they had a lot of good things going. They had fam, their children were well behaved. They had a, you know, a lot of, on the surface, it seemed like a lot of good stuff going on. And so. By this time, you'd already had another child? Yeah. So um, backtracking a little, you know, he's going to. I wasn't trying to interrupt. No, 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 go ahead. (laughs) He He said boys, and I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wondering. He was going through all that, and of course, you know, I came back to the Lord and repented when I was pregnant with Caleb, and um, which was would have been fourteen years ago, and um, so I I stayed there in Arlington at this time. Now my pastor had passed away, but his son um, Charlie Jordan he he was pastor in the church. And uh, Kim, his wife, Sister Kim, she she just became my best friend. She loved me. She was there when he was born. She was my birth coach. <laughs> she she cut his umbilical cord, actually. <laughs> so um, she just walked me through all of that and um, encouraged me along the way and just loved me. And, you know, and um, there was opportunity to grow and to just really heal from my past and move on and um, so it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time. We had a small church, and so I was visiting um, through Brother Jordan's brother. He went to a camp meeting, and I went with them and visited this uh, church in Mississippi. And, um, you know, like he said, they had it all together, and there was two single moms in that church that um, had raised boys. And here I was now. My, You know, my oldest had told you when I came back to the Lord, he was a mess. He was getting in trouble all the time, and he was wild as as you can imagine and here i see these women and they've got these kids and they've got godly homes and they one of them was a widow and the other one's husband had um, divorced and left her and she raised these kids and they're they're you know youth now and they're preaching the gospel and they're you know um honoring their mother and it was just like wow and i remember praying at a camp meeting saying god I want this. I've I've listened to all the Godly Home series. I've listened to all the 
tapes I can about how to raise a godly seed. And, you know, I want it, but I just need to see it lived out. And I remember praying and God said, well, it's here. And, um, you know, at the time I thought that's why God moved me there was to give me that example. And I know that was part of it. I needed that structure lived out in front of me day by day because I was still kind of up and down emotionally and I needed to be steady and, you know, going, um, staying steady for the Lord and I'm not in and out. I'm not saying I was in and out of sin, but, um, so anyway, I think more so leading up to Doug coming home, I think it was a place he could, God could get us to protect us. Cause every time Doug would call and want help, I felt obligated to help him. And he put us there in that church under a pastor who finally said he saw what it was doing to me emotionally. And he said, don't answer the calls anymore. Don't take them. You're enabling him. We'd mm-hmm. been separated for five years. So it was a unique situation because I wasn't um, under my husband because he had abandoned us and he was dangerous. And um, so, you know, it took his strong hand to say, you know, don't take his calls. He's hungry, but he needs to be hungry. Yeah. And um, so there was times where I would hand him the phone, you know, and he would try to talk to Doug and that would make him mad. But you know, finally, like he said, when he got to a point where nobody would answer the phone, nobody would open the door, he broke. And um, so that was, so at this point, Caleb was about three, three years old. I had been in Mississippi about six months, and really it just looked hopeless for Doug. It looked like there's no way this guy's going to get saved. <laughs> so. Yeah, it'd been gone. It'd been like 11 years for me, almost, almost 11 years backslidden, addicted to drugs lost running from god and uh uh i sat there on that bench in that bus stop that night and i had there was a phone i don't even remember how i got a hold of it there was a little phone little flip phone and i called the only number i had of a preacher that i knew that you know i felt like i could call and talk to him and he might at least and try to encourage me you know and i got on the phone and I was telling him, you know, just kind of where I was at, what was going on. I, you know, I was under horrible conviction, and I felt like in my in my mind, what I I wasn't thinking rationally at all, but what little bit I could think and reason, I was, I believed that if I, it was like as if this is it, I've got to make a decision now, or I'm not. You know, I may walk out of here and get ran over or killed or whatever. You never know. But I've got to choose now. And I felt like God was not that God was washing his hands of me, but that if I rejected this this time, there's no turning back for me. And he he very, you know, just deliver you know, to the point, you know, he said, Doug, the problem is you. <laughs> it's you've always been the problem. It's not your wife. It's not the past. It's not the the situation you're in. It's not the the all the things that led up to this. It's you. And if you'll get out of the way and just give up, and God can step in. He said your situation may not change immediately, but God, you know, in a month from now or two weeks from now or whatever, things will be different, and you'll be on the right. You'll be headed the right direction. And uh, I just told him, I said, man, you're you're crazy. There's no thanks but no thanks appreciate the 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 help and i hung up the phone and i was really like in that moment i was so irritated with the whole thing that i almost just got up and went and 
did another burg robbery or whatever I had to do to get high again. But I sat there for a few minutes and I thought over what he said. And I did, you know, I was backslidden. Uh, I don't know what I expected to feel. Uh, but I just said, Lord, I'm done. If you'll save me and get, you know, help me out of this, I'll serve you. Whatever that means. I don't even know what that looks like, but if you'll do it, I'll serve you. And, uh, you know, here's a guy that for the most part of his life for the last, you know, 16 months or so, been hiding out in bushes from imaginary people, paranoid, delusional. Uh, you're talking about a guy that was shooting up so much meth and on a daily basis that, that nothing in his mind was real. It was all make-believe. And within just a moment, uh, my mind was clear. Wow. Just a moment. I was still homeless. I tell people this all the time. I was still homeless. I didn't feel a thing. I didn't feel not one drop a tingle or, you know, there were no fireworks in the, in the peripheral. It was just me trying everything, you know, with, with all the faith I could muster to believe that God was going to do what he said he would do. And, uh, I learned right there what it means. The just shall live by faith. And, uh, I just had to trust God, so I got up. I'm literally filthy, but my mind, like I said, my mind was free. I believe God in that moment saved me. And I got up from there. I went down, and I'd been turned down I don't know how many times at the Salvation Army because I didn't have a driver license, no, no current ID. And uh, I went up there. I sat on the front porch. You know, I got people wanting to find me to – kill me drug dealers looking for me. it was just a bad situation and i was in the wrong part of town to just be hanging out and uh cops you know i had warrants for my arrest it was just one thing after another about 5 30 that morning a guy came out on the front porch and he brought me a cup of coffee he said what are you doing here i said i'm waiting until y'all open up to see if i can get some help and he said, well, the director won't be here till 30, but you can come in and sit down here in the lobby and have coffee, and I'll get you something to eat. And here I am, you know, they've never, I've never even got in the door yet before. And uh, as the day goes by, you know, I, I just start to feel a peace, you know. And he comes in. We go through the whole process. He decides to give me, like, I don't remember how many days, but my sister had found a driver license that was valid. It just didn't have the right address or nothing. And, and my, some of my belongings that were st still at her house. She brought it up there. They let me go in and go on in. Anyways, the long story short, 28 days later, uh, I had to leave. I just couldn't sit there. They had a, I mean, I had gotten radically born again in that time. Uh, that, but they had a, uh, and they did, they helped me. Don't get me wrong, but the only Bibles, and by now I knew the difference in a, in a, well, I knew the Word of God was the King James Bible. I uh, wasn't confused about that at all. But the only Bible they would hand out was the message. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kelly wound up sending me one in the mail, a regular King James. My mom dropped off an old one for me to use until then. And uh, But they had a sodomite playing the songs in, in the church services and leading worship. And uh, I called my wife and I told her my sister was dying. 
And I said, if you'll uh, come down and visit, I said, I think I'm ready to go home. It was a trick. It was a trick. <laughs> and uh, she came down no, to see. Really. Wasn't I wasn't trying to deceive her, but she came down to see, visit my sister, and she stopped in. And, and, and we wound up, I wound up packing up my stuff that night and leaving with her and going home. We went back to Mississippi. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a overnight success. We didn't even know each other anymore. <laughs> no, if it had been five years, yeah. we'd only been around each other wow. maybe a few times yeah. in that five years. And um, I had already been in church, sanctified, you know, full of the Holy Ghost. And here he is right off the street. But, of course, I get there thinking I'm, you know, of course I made myself believe I'm going to go see my sister-in-law who's dying. And then I'm going to visit Doug and we're just going to see how, how he's really doing. Well, of course, when I see him, you know, there's just something about this guy that just keeps, you know, <laughs> still in my heart. So anyway, um, the next morning he was supposed to go to the church there at the Salvation Army and I was going to visit the church in Arlington. And he called and said, can you come see me while well, I get there? And he's all dressed up in his suit looking all good and you know like he's got it all together <laughs> and uh he says with his charm you know well if you'll let if you'll have me I'd, I'd like to go home with you and I'm like oh well of course you know i've only prayed for this for five years how am i going to say no <laughs> so we packed up and left and um yeah like he said we um i realized really quick i was like lord what have i done <laughs> this guy He's uh he was saved, but boy, he was real rough around the edges, and um, we hit some we hit some hard uh, hard times there in the beginning. Um, but I'm thankful where we were because we were in a place where he, you know, he was used to like he said he was used to running all the time. Well, here we are, eight hours away from Texas. He can't just pick up and run, you know. And um, there was an incident where we had a little falling out and. I think um, that was kind of a turning point for us because he, you know, like the old Doug wanted to rise up and say, oh, I'm done with this. I'm leaving. And, um, you know, the pastor came and sat down with him and he said, what you going to do? You know, basically, you're going to go back out there. And, you know, he I'm kind of telling your part, but uh <laughs> He um, and me, I, same thing. I'm like, this isn't what I signed up for. You know, I didn't pray all these years to get to this point and have to live with this, you know. And I remember my pastor's wife, she was a, a little, she could be a little mean at times, but she was very blunt. And she said um, the next day after we had this falling out, she said, I, you know, was kind of looking for sympathy. And um, she said, well, I guess we're going to find out what we're all in this for. And that stuck with me over the years because every time I would feel like I, I'm, this isn't what I'm signed up for, I would think, but what does Jesus want me to do? You know, how am I supposed to respond? I have to suffer the wrong if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, I need to humble myself and I need to make this work because I'm married to this man and um, I want God to get the glory. And so that's kind of how we, um, how we, we got a good foundation back in our marriage and um realized hey nobody's going anywhere we're gonna we gotta make it and um it took time but we we got through some several years there and we were in that church for about nine years um well seven years and doug always knew he had a calling to preach and and um that we would definitely be doing a work again for the lord because the blessings and callings of god are without repentance and so you can kind of tell from there i guess 
Well, we were, like she said, we went through all that craziness when I first came home. I tell you what, I needed to be sanctified. Uh, <laughs> I needed a lot of help. But the Lord did. He came by. Like, you know, you uh, walking around, we had a big slab out behind our house. And apparently there was like a mobile home on that at one time. And, and I loved to walk. And I used to go out there in the mornings and I would walk around that slab like a lap. And I would pray, just be praying, God. I, I, you know, I, I knew I needed to pray. And I knew that God, if I was going to make it, I was going to have to draw near to God. And, uh, you know, my wife is, is a very uh, opinionated woman sometimes. <laughs> and I've never been one to to kind of, you know, bow down. You know, it's not been, it's never was my personality. And so uh, there were times when we would have these these differences conversationally and things would rise up. And I remember just trusting God said, God, I, I, I want to love my wife. Like the Bible says, it's Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But I, I don't even like her right now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, I don't even know this lady anymore. I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. And so God would help. And I remember one morning back there praying on that slab, and she would be doing her thing. And the, we had cats everywhere, and we had a little garden. It was just a peaceful place, and the Lord was doing a work in our lives. And I mean, and out just just not even asking him, brother, just praying and just giving myself to draw near to God that morning. The Lord refilled me with the Holy Ghost out there on that slab, and I'll never forget that moment. And I just think, you know, like Kelly's testified to it. I, I never expected him to do it. You know, we we he gave it to us, and we backslid. We did you know disesteemed the, the the things of God. I really never expected God to be that gracious to us. And he did it again, and and uh, just from that moment on, and and and, I, and you know, on a side note, there was there was a time when I did try to run, and I've told her about it. But you know, I got in the van one day, and I drove up to Natchez to do a, to look for a job. I was, they have a job search center up there, and uh, right there is the Mississippi River. And I got instead of going to the job search center, I got on that bridge, and I was headed west. And I said, I'm just not going to do this. And uh, I got about halfway across the bridge, and I remember the Lord just saying, "Where are you going? What are you going to do? You going to? I mean, you going back to that? That's what you're going back to." And uh, I got to the other side, to the very next turnaround in Vidalia, Louisiana, and I came back, and I went home, and I never looked back. And uh, it hasn't been just a bed of roses. We went through a lot of crazy stuff there at that church. Uh, you know, when we left, I felt like the Lord was calling us to plant a church. And, uh, and you know, we sat and we talked to, I talked to the pastor about it and we went through the whole, you know, he get his blessing and instruction and, and we prayed and, and we, we waited. And That's a big step. It was a big step, <laughs> yeah. yes, sir. And uh, everything seemed right to go. We left there November of 2019. On Thanksgiving Day, we moved out of the house. We bought a house in Cachetta, Louisiana, just up the road here. And on January 5th, we held our first service in our home. And uh, for about two years, we tried to make a, a go of it in our home. We rented a facility. Um, and it was just, we went, we, it came down to just me and her and Caleb. Uh, and yeah, our oldest son backslid. Yeah. So we kind of, as soon as we left, things just kind of... Um, 
got hard. You know, the devil was fighting us. We're like, we're going to do this for God. I mean, wherever God wants us to go, we're going to go. I mean, we, you know, (laughs) we had a lot of zeal. And we get out there, and then it was just like, bam, he was fighting our marriage. Um, And then our son, which really the marriage trouble was really rude from our son. He just rose up and was rebelling and didn't want to serve God. And um, just, you know, just a lot of things there. And that was so hard. You know, obviously, you know, um, that's hard when your kids walk away from the truth. And just, I think, a lot of things that were there from before we got back in church. You know, the love for the video games, the love for entertainment, the love for TV and movies. And he remembered a lot of that stuff. And, you know, now he can make a choice. It's either it's, he, Jesus has got to be real to him or he's going to, you know, gravitate to that. And he did. So so that was hard. We had to face that. And um, so, but we were there. We were going to fight through it. And um we just started uh, kind of feeling like we were a little bit isolated because, you know, our, the church we came from, there there wasn't a whole lot of involvement from them after we left. And then there were some differences and things like that that we faced. And in the meantime, though, um, you know, kind of the light to all of that was we started coming up here to visit at um, the with the Holdens. We found, he found a holiness church. He said, I think this is a holiness church. We're going to go visit. And so we had service on Thursday night, so we decided to come on a Tuesday night. And um, at the time, my mom had moved, um, and she was living with us or living in our little rent house next door to us. And uh, she had just got gave her life back to God. So God was moving. He did give us her, you know. And uh, um, anyway, we come here, and I mean, that very first day, do you remember the first day we walked into the church, it was like just a breath of fresh air. There's fellowship right here, an hour from our house. There's people that that are like us that we that we can fellowship with, and we just really just became just closely knitted with um, Sister Sonia and Brother Stacy, and um, we started coming pretty frequently. About once a week or every other week, we would come and have service up here. And they came alongside us. They helped us when we rented our building. They came and did work on the church, and they were like, "Yeah, we're for you. We're with you." But I guess, you know, it really just got to a point to where we realized, hey, we need to take a break here. We need to step back and um, let's join up with them and kind of regroup because we basically made a separation from the old church um, because of some differences there. And um, we just needed that time to kind of figure some things out. And that's where we're at today. Yeah, we were we were in a place where. You know, uh, I, I don't know how all churches work and how different things work, but we, you know, you when you leave out of a church, they we got uh, a lot of time invested with them. There were, you know, relationships. What I believed that would be lifelong relationships, brother, he became like my father. You know, in the natural, he was just a wonderful. I could go to him. We talked every day. It was a, uh, uh, you know different it was just it was it was something that uh we needed in our life and then whenever we came here and there was a disagreement uh you know just without even any provocation or out without any sort of explanation at all they just shunned us and called us you know arrogant rebels and told us that we were in gross spiritual darkness and on our way to hell and it was just a really gut-wrenching time and it Sounds was dur- just like a definition of a cult. Yes, sir. 
Well, during that time, we had already met the Holdens, and they'd been such a blessing to us. And I'd been working over here selling the buildings for them, and, uh, you know, our friendship had grown. And, uh, you know, it came down to a point where, uh, you know, I just knew that, you know, in prayer, I felt like it was time that we, you know, shut it down. This was not holiness, the church. Uh, they had a lot of of good external standards, but there were things going on there that, and I'm sure there's churches all over that, I mean, you could go to 10 different churches and maybe not find one that you personally agree with everything going on there. Uh, but there was just a lot of, you know, we, we looking back, I do believe God allowed it for a season, uh, in our lives at the time that we were there, but we knew we had to move on. And, uh, I, as far as being a pastor, I'd never, I'd never, I mean, I was just thrown out. No instruction, no nothing, no experience. I didn't really know what I was doing to begin with. And I do believe God, you know, is called to that ministry event, you know, at some point. And so I told Brother Stacy, I said, Brother, I just feel like it's time for us to close these doors, come set under there until the Lord moves and just learn and, 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 and be a blessing and do whatever we can to get in and, uh, you know, we've met so many wonderful people in the holiness movement. Uh, you wonder why you missed it for so long. It was right there, you know, the whole time. But uh, it's just been a total blessing. And during, well, you know, backing up a little bit, when we were still in Cachada at the church, um, you know, I like to preach on the street. I like to go out in the open air and share the gospel. And uh, we learned that. You know, at the place we came from, a lot of times college campuses are some of the best places to go. We would go to Natchitoches, Northwestern State, been to Stephen F. Austin over in Nacogdoches, just different places. We've been to a hundred different college campuses probably across the you know the southern part of the United States, and uh, we also would go to the abortion clinic uh, in Shreveport. <clears throat> and I don't want to. I want to try to get to where we are today without we're going to have to cut off a lot of our <laughs> our stuff but you know as far as just want to get to where we're at today and kind of uh close it up but I tell you we we went I don't know every Saturday or was it Tuesdays I can't remember what days we went but we started out going twice a week you know twice a month whatever one day we were out there on a Saturday and there was a lady uh family that was and we preached you know, I preach the gospel. I'm not much of a counselor when it comes to sidewalk, whatever they call that, witnessing. Uh, when I go, I preach, I share the gospel, I tell them what the Bible says. And a lot of times it, you know, it, it provokes a, a somewhat, seems like a negative reaction, but, you know, the Bible says the truth, you know, sets men free and so we want to be careful to share with them what the Bible says, and we would talk to them about what they're doing. And uh, anyways, there was a, another lady out there that, that uh, she appreciated what we were doing, and she was running a pregnancy center here in Shreveport, and she approached Kelly about uh, about volunteering there and taking over. And Actually, I don't even think she fully disclosed all of what it was going to Yeah, at be first it was just to volunteer, kind of help out the pregnancy center. They had a new center that started up my so well okay let's pray about this so there's a big backstory to that i know we're out of time but um uh 
in those years before I was pregnant with Caleb, when we were separated, or well, anyway, just in the in those years of all the chaos of our sin, um, I uh, had a chemical abortion, and um, I hid it for many years. Um, nobody ever knew about it until um, our several years back, about five years ago. Um, some of the people in our church were going out to the abortion clinic and. It, God started stirring that up in my heart that I wanted to be able to talk about it. I wanted to be able to go out there and try to warn these girls not to do what I had done and live with the regret that I had had and that secret that I'd carried. And so I went to my pastor's wife and another lady in the church, and I opened my heart and shared to them, of course, what I had done. And, um, and of course, they were very... Um, they were very good and sweet about it and said, well, God forgave you. That's part of your past. You know, God doesn't even remember it anymore. So I moved on from that. So anyway, when this opportunity came about, I thought, well, this may be an open door. God's given me an opportunity to use what was so bad in my life for something good. And so, of course, I had already told Doug. Doug knew about it. And um, so we told our children and I asked for their forgiveness. And so I just began this healing process from my past from that. And um, then this lady comes along. And so I'm in there and it turns out they needed a director, not just a volunteer. <laughs> well, I'm a homeschooling mom. We're trying to start a church. I'm like, I don't want a career. I don't want a job. I want to stay home in my nice little place here. Well, um, anyway, we did feel like it was the Lord. So I jumped right in and um, lo and behold. So I was praying all the while, though. God send a director. God send a director. Well, here comes Sister Sonia. But Sister Sonia says, I don't want that job either. <laughs> and so she said, but I'll come alongside and I'll help you. So she committed to helping a day or two a week. And so we just got in there and we just started really helping this um, pregnancy center. It started out as a little bitty house behind a church. And it was kind of scary, actually, because girls that wanted that maybe were considering an abortion or something would come and they would turn away because one it's in a church parking lot too it's this little house nobody was doing any work on it we couldn't get money from the lady that was running it to do anything so anyway we were just praying like god where do we go from here um and so the building floods we finally get approval to move into a new building we got a medical facility um, we move into it a couple months after we're moved into this beautiful facility that we got a really good deal on um, the lady says, well, I, she got state funds and she said, we've lost our funding and I'm going to have to pull out basically. So, um, after praying, we decided this was our answer to prayer because we really wanted to get out from under her ministry and do things a little bit differently. We still had the liberty to share the gospel under mm -hmm. her, but, um, we wanted to be able to make decisions and expand and do things without that holding us back. So, um, so Sonia said, well, hey, let's just do it ourselves. So, or I kind of told her and she's like, yeah, I agree. And so um, Doug and Brother Stacy were behind us and we just started our own ministry. So September of last year, we started as the Shreveport Pregnancy Center and um, we just uh, serviced over 250 women in our first year, um, helping them with, you know, diaper essentials, baby items. And we do counseling. I'm able to share my testimony with many of these girls and so it's kind of neat because Sister Sonia and I have total opposite testimonies. She's been kept, you know, in the church her whole life, and, um, you know, and mine's quite different. So really the Lord uses both of those mm -hmm. to help these girls, and we've seen so many lives that were changed. We have one girl in particular. She was on her sixth pregnancy. She called. She was wanting an abortion. 
she comes in, I'm able to sit down and talk with her. And, you know, towards the end of this hour long conversation we have, she just totally breaks. She had a little bit of a church background and she um, had her hands in the air. She's repenting. She's crying out to the Lord. And um, later that night, we still didn't know. We thought, okay, well, this was a good sign, right? You know, this is good fruit. Maybe she's going to keep her baby, but we still didn't know. That night, she sends a text, and she called me Sister Kelly. I'd given her my personal number. She said, I want you to know I've decided to keep my baby and go on for Jesus. And so that's one of the stories we've had in the last year um, through that ministry. So I know you'd mentioned sharing a story, so I'm trying to be quick so we're out of time. But, um, but yeah, so God has definitely used some circumstances that maybe the devil was trying to use in our life to twist it around and bring us to the Holdens and to start this ministry at the center. And we're seeing a great work being done here. We're thankful. Well, that's awesome to be able to try to help other people and minister and also <laughs> using your testimony to try to save other women from not right. from not doing that and to, to save lives. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. save lives because abortion yeah. is absolutely terrible. terrible. That's right. And one in four women sitting in a church have, um, they say, the statistics say that they have had an abortion. And they hide it and they don't talk about it. I mean, I'd been saved for years and never had told anyone. So um, we know there's women out there and they need to, you know, they need to be able to heal from that, move on and use that to help others because it's a big thing where Roe v. v. Wade being overturned has kind of stirred some things up. People are thinking about it again, but it was not the end of abortion. There's still abortion, you know, taking place. Not counting the millions and millions of babies that have already been lost. Right. Exactly. A lot of the women and the, well, people in general that are facing that, you know, uh, they they don't. It's hard for them to believe that there's somebody out there that's going through the situation, the things they've endured. You know that wow. they see Kelly, they see Sister Sonia, they see me or Brother Stacy, and they think, well, they'll never understand. They don't know what I've gone through. They don't look at them. They're dressed. You know, mm-hmm. they look. They can't possibly comprehend the the difficulties of the decisions or the things I'm going on on a day to day basis. And when you can get them in there. And you can share, you know, hey, God, you know, I know I look buttoned down, but, I mean, I came from probably a worse place than you are right now, and God yeah. set us free, and he put our feet on a good path. And it gives people hope, and it gives, you know, some of them like, well, I don't want to say their names, but so they don't even know what it means to pay a bill or, or get a utility turned on or order, mm-hmm. you know, buy a bill of groceries for their family. And they're getting help physically, but they're also getting spiritual direction and i remember you know i had three unplanned pregnancies um one of them i chose the wrong thing you know but god and this is what i always share with these girls pregnancy brings women to a crossroad and it is a wonderful opportunity for because we know children are a blessing from the lord whether it was conceived in the right way or not that child is a blessing we don't always understand but you know it's not their fault it, right. right. And um, so I always tell these girls, you know, this child can be a blessing. It is meant to be a blessing in your life. You're at a crossroad, and he's giving you an opportunity to change your course because life isn't just about you now. It's about this baby. And I just remember when I was there, when I was 18 and I walked in the church, there were people there that loved me and carried me through. And if it wouldn't have been for that support group, I don't yeah. think I would have made it. And, you know, these girls aren't walking into the churches anymore now they're walking into pregnancy centers and a lot of times they're getting a watered down gospel and they're not getting the truth people are afraid to step on their toes they don't want to tell them the truth so we want to be able to share the truth with them and show that to them and help them live that out practically that's one of the things that sets treeport pregnancy center apart from almost any other one that 
in particular in this area, is that uh, there's no government funding. It's all donor funded, mm -hmm. and there's no restrictions whatsoever. And it's Bible based. It's faith. It's it's Jesus. It's, mm -hmm. That's your solution. And uh, a lot of them, we, we you know we we get to the we hear testimonies where they went, or we'll talk to people, and they're like, well, we just didn't get around to it. We didn't have time to share the gospel with them, and we don't ever. We want to make that the focus, right? Well, we thank you all so much for coming on the podcast and telling your testimony. What a great testimony that it is, how your lives were turned around for God and working for God, and uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. It really is. And uh, and so before we get off here, we're, we're about out of time, but as we get off here, um, as far as the um, center is concerned, what, what two things would you say? What one th one thing would you say to a young lady that might be dealing with this right now that's got that in her mind that maybe an abortion is, is a – you know, is a, a plausible way out. And also, what would you say to our audience regarding this topic and also the center? Yeah. There's always another solution. Um, I know, especially in church, there's a lot of shame involved. So, um, you know, we have to get up and we have to repent and we have to move on. But um, it's, it's never okay to take the life of a child. And that's something that you feel like you're going to get out of in the moment, but it's going to follow you the rest of your life. And there's, there's somebody there that's willing to walk through this with you. If you can't go to your pastor, your pastor's wife, or someone in your circle, we would be happy to talk with you. Um, we have a website. It's spcfriends.org. And that's S, like Shreveport, P, Pregnancy, C, Center. Um, I can put that in the notes. Yeah, and um, we would love to, you know, talk with you. And then for churches, we really want to see holiness people really get involved in this work because, um, you know, the, it's sad, but we get a lot of other denominations and churches and especially Catholics that are super involved in the pro-life movement. But we know that there's holiness people out there, and we have the truth, and we will need to give that to these girls. So we need volunteers, and we need— um, holiness people to come together and kind of help us uh, get this ministry going and keep it going. Well, I appreciate y'all coming on and everything you had to say. And this has been the Two Peas on a Pod podcast. And I've had a great time being with you all. I heard the testimony for the first time. He told me very little bit about it, but we appreciate being with you all. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. Amen. Amen. We'll see y'all later. Good being with you. <laughs>